All right. We have almost come to the end of the book of Hosea. We have one more history lesson, then one uh, final chapter on, uh, on the idea of repentance. So we'll take a look at that one next week. We, as we go through Hosea, remember, Hosea begins. First three chapters is the illustration of Hosea's life and the relationship between God and the nation of Israel. Hosea marries an unfaithful woman. She's unfaithful to him. She ultimately leaves him to go find other lovers. And uh, after a period of time, God says to Hosea, go back and purchase your wife back. By the time he finds her, she's unwanted in slavery. He pays half the price of a slave gored by an ox to buy her back. So the, in case you're wondering, how, why in the world does Jackie know that? 30 pieces of silver is the price you would pay for a slave gored by an ox. How much did they pay for Jesus? So for Gomer, Hosea's wife, they paid 15. He paid 15 pieces of silver for a human being who had spent her life in riotous living, unfaithful wife, running from man to man, and ultimately finds herself unwanted by everyone else and redeemed by her husband. And when he redeems her, he doesn't redeem her as a slave. He doesn't make her work her way back up into his good graces. She receives uh, all the blessing of being his wife when that redemption comes. The rest, from chapter 4 to 10 is God's charges against the northern kingdom, uh, which is the kingdom of Ephraim or Israel. Southern kingdom is Judah. This is a period of time in the history of Israel when they're divided, north and south. North never had a good king. The picture is that that northern kingdom is like Gomer, the unfaithful wife, and that she is in the story of Hosea hearing all of the charges, all of the sin, uh, all of the uh, unfaithfulness she's wrought against God. And then she's going to enter into that period of time just like Gomer did where she's unwanted, she's cast out. We're going to see exile for the nation, the people uh, entering into slavery against the Assyrians. But it's, Hosea is not left without a word of hope. And the word of hope is redemption is coming. So even though we find ourselves maybe in those kind of places where we've done things that we can't believe we did, whatever, we, no matter where we find ourselves, we know that the, God's ability to redeem a sinful man is greater than sinful man's ability to outsin the grace of God. Paul wrote, where sin abounded, grace abounds more. That's right. Jesus has the power to save every sinner from the uttermost. He's able to accomplish it. And so he's the promise, redemption, that Hosea is writing about. There will be a day. And so as we look at chapter 13, chapter 13, the idea of chapter 13 is there is no savior. There's no other person who can save you other than the Lord. So now this last four chapters, we're dealing with God's invitation of love, his call back to his bride. 
Come back to me. Come back to me. Now, she's not ready yet. In the story where the nation, right, Hosea and Gomer, where was it that Hosea was able to get Gomer back? When everything, when she had spent herself, what, what happened to the prodigal son? When was he ready to go home? At the height of the party? When he had all that money? When did he want to go home? When he's living in a pigsty. When was Hosea ready to hear from, or when was Gomer ready to hear from Hosea? When she was worth 15 pieces of silver. The nation of Israel is not at that place yet, but God's voice and the word of the prophet to the people is that, that God is there. So let's take a look at what he has in this invitation of God's love dealing with his character. Look at what he says about Ephraim. Verse 1, Hosea 13, when Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He was exalted in Israel, but he incurred guilt through Baal and died. So he's talking about the nation as though it's a, the nation is a person. And Ephraim, there was hope. When the northern kingdom initially broke off from the south, when there was the division of the nation, but interesting that we would be seeing something like that. Stay tuned. But when you look at that, what happens is there was hope. There was, there was a promise uh, from the Lord that, hey, if you'll walk with me, I'll take care of you. And their initial choice was to build two golden calves, one in Ephraim, one in Dan. So the very first thing, the bride, the wife of Yahweh, of God, Israel, did was be unfaithful. She, she brought two idols into the relationship and they became her focus of worship. And now they sin more and more. Verse 2, and make for themselves metal images, idols, skillfully made of their silver, all of them the work of craftsmen. It is said of them, those who offer human sacrifice kiss calves. So there's two golden calves, just like the golden calves that they built. And when they left Egypt, everybody remember the story? Moses is, is up on the mountain. And he's receiving the Ten Commandments. The children of Israel down below 40 days ends up being too long for them to wait. They get a little antsy. They want to do something. If you believe Aaron's story, they put gold in the fire and out popped a golden calf. And the people began to worship it. Now you have the exact same thing happening with the northern kingdom. The people were worshiping the golden calf. Therefore, he says in verse 3, they shall be like the morning mist or like the dew that goes early away, like the chaff that swirls from the threshing floor or like smoke from a window. What he's saying is that if, if mankind follows that path, it's not sustainable. If you follow a path of corruption, that path is not sustainable. That path leads to destruction. There is a path, according to the Bible that leads to life and there is a path that leads to destruction the people follow the path that leads to destruction then that's what's going to happen that's where that road goes you can't get on the highway out here and be angry if you're headed toward filer that you get to filer you can't be mad oh i'm in filer well that's where that road goes you guys get what i'm saying so the people are on a road of corruption and that road of corruption 
will lead God's creation to judgment. Have you ever read the book of Genesis? So we have, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And by chapter 7, we have something happening. You remember what happens in chapter 7 of Genesis? There's a guy named Noah building a boat and a big flood comes. The Bible says that all of mankind's thoughts were evil continually. They got on the path of rebellion and corruption and it brought creation to judgment. That path leads to destruction. How does the Bible use the phrase? It's like grass. They grow up fast and then it dies away. That path leads to destruction. Early morning mist. It looks like it's going to be good for a minute, but the end is not good. That road doesn't go where people think it ought to go. And ultimately he's saying, look, here's their issue. They have a golden calf. They're full of pride. They're building their own idols and they're unfaithful. And their unfaithfulness is described like Gomer being unfaithful to Hosea. None of us sit around and go, you know what I really want is an unfaithful spouse, right? So nobody glorifies unfaithfulness. They were unfaithful through their idolatry. And this was something that the Lord spoke about in the book of Exodus. Exodus 32, 8. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now in Exodus 20, the people were told to make no graven images, right? So it's not like they didn't know what to do. They're, they're told, don't make any graven, don't build some kind of an idol and then act as though that's what brought you out of Egypt. God's, our relationship with God is bigger than what we can accomplish in idolatry. And that was the challenge. In Deuteronomy 5, verse 8, he says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or the earth beneath or is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Now, a lot of people want to talk about that part. Where does that road end? Where does the road of unfaithfulness end? Where does the path of wickedness end? All the Lord's telling you is where that road goes. You get to choose if you want to walk it, but you don't get to be angry about where that road ends. The Lord says that road ends in him visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. The path, what happens is we carve a path. Any dads ever carve a path for their kids? Well, look at the bright side, kids. One day you're going to carve a path for yours. And sometimes our children and our children's children follow our examples, even the ones we don't want them to learn. Right? We see that when they're little, we go, oh, look, he's got daddy's temper. It's not cute anymore when they're 20. So we look at it, we see. But listen to what the Lord says also in Deuteronomy 5, verse 10. But showing steadfast or faithful love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. What's God saying in Deuteronomy 5? If you are faithful, you're, you, if you're faithful to me, I'm... I'm faithful to you. If you walk the path 
of life. Come follow me. Isn't that what Jesus said? Come follow me, walk that path. Then, then I have faithful love for you. If you take the path of rebellion, rejection, and wickedness, that ends in judgment and destruction. That's why we're to warn someone who's on the wrong path, right? It's not to lord it over anyone else, but just to say, hey, that road goes to Filer. Is that where you're trying to get? You guys get what I'm saying? You know, it'd be, it'd be weird for me to jump out on a, on a 93 headed to Vegas and then be angry that I got to Vegas on the 93. Well, that's odd. If you stay on it long enough, that's where it goes. Right? So we want to understand. And so the Lord here in chapter 13, first four verses is telling them about the consequences that they're going to face. The wise will hear the word of God and make correction. Oh, I'm on the wrong road. This is not where I'm trying to get to. I'm trying to draw near to the Lord. That's over here. I'm going to follow this road. Psalms, uh, Psalm 1 Uh, Verse 1 through 4 says this, Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. He's not on the road that they're on. You guys get? Jesus said there's a narrow way and and a wide way, right? One leads to destruction, one leads to life. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. That word in the Hebrew is Torah. For them, at the time of the writing of the Psalms, that's the Old Testament. He's, his his uh, delight is in God's word. He meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. The leaf does not wither. Everything he does prospers, but the wicked are not so. That's not what the wicked are like. The wicked are like chaff that just blows away do you remember how the lord described the judgment that was coming in verse 3 of hosea they will be like the morning mist or the dew that goes early away or like the chaff that swirls from the threshing floor or like smoke from a window they're passing away and that's why in the love of god god would send a prophet who would stand before the people and tell them that road doesn't go where you want to go. You can change the road you're on. You can choose to follow the Lord. He says in verse 4, but I am the Lord your God. Now he's telling them, look, I'm the one who took you out of Egypt, not the golden calf. Did the golden calf do anything for him? Did the golden calf part the Red Sea, give him manna to eat? Did it cleanse the bitter water? Did it, did it, take care of them their shoes didn't wear out they didn't get diseases they were able to to cross across the wilderness with god's blessing upon them the lord is saying i'm the one who did that not the golden calf you know no god but me i'm the only god he is the incomparable god there's no god like him no god like him and besides me there is how many saviors Now, this is an important concept for us in the book of Hosea when we hear the term ascribed to Jesus. For he is our Lord and Savior. Paul would write, he is our great God 
and Savior, because there is no other Savior other than Yahweh. Yahweh is our Savior. And Jesus is our Savior, which means Jesus is Yahweh. We have Jesus Christ as God Almighty. It is I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. When you were going through those hard times, the Lord's like, it's me. I'm the one that's there. I'm taking care of you. But listen to what happened. But when you had grazed, you became full. You were filled and your heart was lifted up and you forgot me. And that's the story. What have you done for me lately was the song. And this is the, this is the attitude of the, of the children of Israel. They're, they're like, yeah, well, what's that matter now? You know? And so they're lifted up with pride. They're full of food. That reminds me of, you won't believe it, Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 48. I'll just share this couple of verses with you. Ezekiel 16, verse 48. As I live, declares the Lord God, your sister Sodom and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. So the Ezekiel, now speaking to Judah, the southern kingdom, he is going to make the comparison between Israel and Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's going to say Sodom and Gomorrah was less wicked than Israel. He goes on and says, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. This was the problem with Sodom and Gomorrah. She and her daughters had pride. Oof, right out the gate. You see what Hosea said? Hosea said, When they had grazed, they became full. They were filled and their hearts were lifted up. They became proud. And when they became proud, they forgot God. Is it any wonder that on the list of sins in the book of Proverbs, pride tops the list of things God hates? Six things the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination. Here he says, look, you, were, you had pride, uh, excess of food, so they had everything that they needed. Prosperous ease, life wasn't too hard. And you did not care for the poor and the needy. They were haughty. That's another word for proud. And did an abomination before me. So I removed them. That was God's judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah. Now the issue is, the, the thing is, the things, it, it, it's kind of weird because there's a parallel with the United States now. Um, if you were to go with me to Peru, um, down through Iquitos to, uh, to the jungle in the Amazon, and you were to talk to one of the tribes down there about some of the struggles we're having in the United States today, struggles in regard to, to gender or, or, you know, just a, you pick whatever the host of topics that are floating around our world today. If you went down there to Iquitos and tried to talk to them about it, they would look at you like you're crazy. Do you know why? Yeah, it might be because you are crazy. They'll look at you like you're crazy because they don't have prosperous ease. 
You see, their day is made up of how do I live to tomorrow? Where am I going to get food? Where am I going to get water? How am I going to care for my family and the things that I need? And because their days are filled with those things, their, their haughtiness, their pride, their self-reliance, their whatever, that, that's not in the forefront of their being like it was in Israel when Israel forgot God. And it's interesting to me that I think you could say the same thing for the United States today. That pride has caused us to lift our hearts up. You could say that same phrase. Most people would say we are entering into what is called the post-Christian era uh, in the history of the United States. So <clears throat> you could say this last phrase, but they forgot me. Now he goes, he goes on and talks in verse 7 about uh, the situation from the Lord. So here's what the Lord says. <clears throat> so I am to them like a lion. So that's not good. I'm, I always think about C.S. Lewis when I hear the Lord talk about being a lion because if you remember, I think it's Susan. You guys, I don't know if you guys know the Chronicles of Narnia. I, I know there's at least one uh, C.S. Lewis fan tonight. But one of the things C.S. Lewis said, Susan says of, of Aslan, she's going to meet Aslan, the lion, in the story. And she asks, is he, how's it go? Is he safe? And they laugh. No, he's, not, he's a lion. He's not safe, but he is good. And, and that's the same way. When we look at the Lord talking about coming like a lion, he's not safe. And there's only so far God will allow corruption to infect creation. From Genesis, you just go through the Old Testament. Work your way through the Old Testament. We have uh, the flood. We have the division of the nations. We have at least two different exiles going into the Old Testament. You have over and over again, the cycle plays out where creation is allowed so far in the corruption before God brings a judgment. And that judgment takes man, backs man back up in a position of trust to God. And then eventually he finds himself out of trust again, out, lifted up by his own pride Again, and so the Lord says, I'm like a lion, like a leopard. I will lurk beside the way and I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. So we understand all the metaphors, right? If you're in the woods, what bear don't you want to bump into? Mama bear and her babies, right? All bad. Don't take out your phone and try to get a selfie. Just get away. We understand the metaphor. And so this is what the Lord is saying. Look, there will be judgment that will be coming. I will tear open their breasts, devour them like a lion as a wild beast would rip them open. What's the point of the metaphor? To understand the seriousness of God's wrath. God is both savior and judge. And his desire is, according to scripture, would be to save, that men would come to repentance and be saved. But that does not mean that he will not judge sin, right? So if God will judge sin, then we as 
followers of Christ want to be those who would warn someone, hey, the road you're on leads to judgment. That's not, I'm, I'm not judging you. You get freedom, right? You get to pick the path you're going to walk in life. But we want to know that we're walking the path Jesus said. Narrow is a way and few there are who find it that leads to life. But broad is the path that leads to destruction. And many there are who find it. So it's not hard to find the wrong way. It's challenging to find the right way. And so here the Lord is describing what the wrong way ultimately results in. Now, look at verse 9. He says, uh, there they had an attitude. We need help. The people recognize, the people of Israel recognize, we need help, but they're going to the wrong place. You ever go to the wrong place for help? Yeah, I can't, there's a comedian, I can't remember, he says something about uh, what's it like to have four kids, and he says, oh, it's like, it's like you're drowning in the ocean and somebody hands you a baby. I thought that was funny. So, because <laughs> that's what four kids would be like for me. So, but the point is, sometimes we think uh, this is helpful and it's not helpful. Wouldn't be helpful for you to hand me a baby if I'm drowning in the ocean. Wouldn't be helpful for, for some people are going to choose something that's not helping them. There's a whole host of people that want to self-medicate or try to take care of their mental health issues by drinking alcohol. Is it helpful? Probably not, right? It's not going to accomplish what they want. There, there may be a momentary pleasure, but it tends to lead to a lifetime of pain, right? Drugs the same way. So there are places we can go for help that are not helpful. Look at what he says. He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. So the Lord's saying, look, I, I'm going to be like a lion to you, and there's going to be judgment, but I'm the helper. If you would turn to me, I'm the one who saves. I don't know how many times I would have this conversation with my boys. At night. Boys. Please don't make me beat you tonight. Just go to bed. That's simple. You know exactly how they're to go to bed and there'd be no crying. Could you imagine such a thing? I would say, boys, just go to bed. I'm, I'm the one who feeds you and cares for you. Put a roof over your head. Keep your bedroom warm at, in the winter and cool in the summer. Just go to bed. But they just couldn't do it. They couldn't go to bed until there was a whooping. And then there was crying and the gnashing of teeth. Right? So here the Lord is saying, look, I'm your helper, but you're not turning to me. You want something else to save you. You're going to the wrong thing. Where now is your king to save you in all your cities? They thought, sometimes we get this idea too. I, I, you know, you guys have all heard me say this before. I'm not a huge fan of politics. I don't think much of a president saving me or a king saving me or I think a lot about the Lord saving me, right? Their attitude is an attitude of, look, I, what's going to save me? Who's going to save me? Oh, t Trump, he's a second coming. You know 
he's not. He's a broken man, just like you and I, in need of a Savior. Yes? So, so the, the reality is, sometimes we look to the wrong things. The wrong thing. He says, where's the king now? Where's your king now? Well, now we have a fellow that doesn't even know what day it is. <laughs> Cannot stop a bicycle without falling off. <laughs> it's going to happen to me next. So, what do we want? What do we want? Look, where are all your rulers? Those of whom you said, give me a king and princes. These will be the guys who bail us out. You ever been let down by the people you thought was going to bail you out? The Lord is saying, look, you're trying to be saved by things that aren't me. So he says, I gave you a king in my anger. That king is the king of Assyria. And he's the one who's going to conquer the northern tribe, the northern kingdom. And I took him away in my wrath. So the Lord, there will be judgment ultimately for Assyria. There is judgment ultimately here, we see, for the northern kingdom. Psalm 115 says, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is your help and your shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Who, you who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is your help and their shield. Who's your help and your shield? It's God, it's the Lord. It's not these other things. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is kept in store. So the pangs of childbirth come for him. But he is an unwise son, for at the right time, he does not present himself at the opening of the womb. So the point, the, the illustration he's saying is Ephraim's like a stillborn child. He won't come. He won't be birthed. He won't come forward. And so Ephraim is caught in his sin. And like the pregnant woman, we see this same uh, analogy used in Matthew 24, like labor pangs on a pregnant woman. You know, you know when the baby is supposed to come. But the point is here, the coming of the baby would be the, the, the birth of repentance, but there is no birth. There's no repentance. There's no turning from sin. The sin is still bound up. He doesn't want to leave it. He wants to stay in it. And if he stays in it, we know where that road goes, right? Listen. Verse 14, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. God says, I will ransom them from the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? So he's asking the question. The Lord is saying There's, there is a coming day of redemption, right? This is exactly the same kind of phrasing that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? Right? Here the Lord is saying, look, <clears throat> I'm going to redeem you. Now, who does that redemption? Jesus Christ does. Where does he come? He comes to the nation of Israel that didn't exist for a time through her exile, but is gathered again and her Savior comes to her. To buy her back. The purchase price being paid by the God of the universe. 
But in verse 14, he says, compassion, however, is hidden from my eyes. They are entering into the time of judgment. The day of salvation is further down the road. Judgment is coming first. If we look in Matthew chapter chapter 9 and 10, we, you guys went through it on Sunday. We talked about it up at camp. Uh, uh, the Lord says to the disciples, go only to the to the tribes of Israel, right? He sends out the 12 to the 12 tribes of Israel because the tribes of Israel's judgment is coming first. In 70 AD, there won't be a nation anymore. So Paul, everywhere he goes, he goes to the Jew first and then to the Gentile because judgment was coming for the Jew first and then for the Gentile. And so we, we see the same here. The Lord is saying, look, compassion is hidden from my eyes. You are entering into a time of judgment. Listen how he describes it. Though he may flourish among his brothers, the east wind, the wind of the Lord shall come. Uh, payday someday. So it might be going good now. You might say, oh, the economy is great. Everything is good. But the Lord says, the east wind's coming. That wind of judgment is on its way. Rising from the wilderness, his fountain shall be dried up. We go to the fountain and say, oh, look, all the water coming out of the spring. You seen pictures of Lake Mead recently? Fountains are drying up. Lake Mead's almost gone. Crazy. Craziest thing you'll ever see. But the Lord says in, in the judgment, his fountain will be dried up. His spring will be parched. It shall strip his treasury of every precious thing. All that gold is going away. Samaria shall bear her guilt because she has rebelled against her God. And they will fall by the sword. The little ones will be dashed in pieces and the pregnant women ripped open. Now, that's something the Assyrians did. Literally, that was something they did. And so, through the prophets, the Lord was saying to the northern kingdom, the road you're on leads to war with the Assyrians. If you don't want war with the Assyrians, you need to change the road you're on. But the people would not repent. They would not turn. That's what repent means, change their direction and follow the Lord their God. And so this was ultimately the, the judgment which is as certain as the redemption that is coming. Now remember, when was Gomer ready to receive the redemption of Hosea? When she was all at the end of that road, right? All, things were almost over. And we see the same thing uh, bearing here for the northern kingdom and perhaps uh, uh, by way of application, something we have to look forward to in our great nation. We shall see if the people uh, whose God is the Lord will hear his call for repentance and turn. Uh, The call always goes. The opportunity for redemption always comes. Now, the cool thing about Hosea, 
is going to end on a high note, but you have to come back next week for that part. <laughs> Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word, Lord, to see what your word lays out for us in the book of Hosea. God, we pray that you be glorified and, and magnified. God, it is ultimately our desire to honor you and the things that we say and do to hear the call of your prophets the call of your word drawing us ever closer to you god to a to a place where we put our faith and our trust in you lord we want to see not only uh, our nation our families our neighborhoods we want to see them all desiring to serve you, to follow you, God, to find life in a relationship with you. So help us walk in wisdom that we can show people the way that they would want to walk, that we could call to people headed on the wrong path and let them know it's not too late to follow the Lord. God, we pray that you would be glorified in this place and we give you praise for it all in jesus name amen